Good morning. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of 1 Peter. I'll be reading from chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Peter writes these words, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partners and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, or do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words, and Father, we ask that as Pastor Mike comes to share the meaning behind them, Lord, that your spirit would fill him with boldness and with power. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Good morning. So glad you're here this morning. Um, Walt and Estelle, welcome back to Marion. Estelle Nestor's parents are here with us today. So they're all the way from Philly, so we're glad you guys came. Yeah, glad you're here. They're glad to be here, but really wish the pastor hadn't embarrassed them. So we're glad you're here. <clears throat> One thing I wanted to say also is, uh, and I know it's something that's in our prayers. I, I thought Keith presented it well at our earlier service. Um, we're kind of, Keith and I are kind of standing today like proud papas of a new pastor. Uh, Andrew Happ, who's been raised up through the ministries of our, our, our uh, church here, been supported uh, greatly by you, began today 
uh, right now in this in real time as the pastor, appointed pastor of the Delmar and Elberg churches, which are over by Makokita, uh as he continues his seminary work. So he is now Pastor Andrew next time you see him. So pray for Andrew. Uh, yeah, big news. Yay. So this morning's opportunity in 1 Peter, how many of you read ahead before you got here? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, It begins with the words, wives, in the same way, submit to your husband. Well, I got to talking to some of my colleagues about this a couple weeks ago because I know Keith had to deal with with masters and slaves and that sort of thing uh, last week. But I said, you know, this coming week today, I said, I have to talk about wives and submission. And one of my, you know, we were sitting in the in a circle having coffee and, and actually incidentally important to this story, Keith hadn't arrived yet. One of my friends said, oh, I have a great answer for you, Mike, when you get to that. And I'm like, what's that? He says, skip it. <laughs> and another one said, make Keith do it. And I was like, well, both of those answers seemed uh, righteous and fun to me. I, I thought, well, no, we have to deal with this. And it reminded me of, of, of a time about uh, eight or nine years ago, standing right here in this space. I, when I get close to the marriage of a couple, we come in here and we kind of do a pre-walkthrough to the rehearsal, mostly so that they can make every decision that goes along with their wedding and talk about what the, the vows and the intentions and all those sorts of things mean. And, and before that time, I had sent them 10 or 15 scripture passes, passages to read that I might formulate the sermon for their uh, wedding on. And we walk through those and we talk them. So I was standing right back there and I said, well, this is the scripture you've picked. And it was from Ephesians 5, a very similar text that says, wives, be submissive to your husband. And she simply said, standing right here saying, that'll be the day. <laughs> I'm like, you picked it. You picked it. What, what does that mean? But, 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 but we come to this, and, and with those kind of attitudes and atmospheres in, in our lives today, understanding that, that here at First United Methodist Church, we believe in every word of the Scriptures. And, and so to, to maybe skipping it or handing it back to Pastor Keith, the question is, why when you pick up a book like we've done in, in, in Ephesians and, and Timothy and, and 1 Peter and even some of our Gospels, why every single word? Well, the answer is because they're important. L- let me give you an example. Guys, you got that first slide up there? Um, so let's say a parent says to their son, Johnny, you can't have all the candy you want. It's bad for you. Now, here's what the son hears. Show the next slide. Johnny, have all the candy you want. Because we hear things with our own perspective, right? We hear sometimes what we, because of our own uh, perspectives, our own opinions, our own inclination, we hear what we want to hear. And when Keith and I look at scriptures, and, and I will tell you that I have told him a couple times, I've wrestled with one Peter more than any text I've wrestled with over the last few years. But we read every word, and this is why. In 2 Timothy, Paul says this. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So, that the servant of God, and that is you, the servant of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. If we start skipping stuff, if we start just preaching what we like to hear against our ears, we won't hear and we won't correctly, um, thoroughly equip you for the work of ministry. So we intend as your pastors to do what sometimes is a 
fun work and sometimes a difficult work of peeling back the timeless scriptures to see what their timeliness is in our particular generation. And so that's where we go today. So let's start with where the scriptures start. It says, wives, in the same way. Well, when you start a sentence like that, you say, in the same way as what? What, what precedes this? So you have to go backwards in, in 1 Peter. And what we see as 1 Peter's main theme, Peter teaching his main theme in, in this book, is he is teaching us to focus, and, and he is focusing on encouraging Christians to exhibit faithfulness under the pressures of persecution. And so it's a continuing instruction that he's putting before us. And this continuing instruction is simply this, that Christians are different in roles and abilities yet equal in responsibility and blessings. So notice that. Christians are different in, in roles and abilities. We, we have different opportunities. We, we, we're different as human beings, but we're equal in our responsibility and blessings. So, when he says, in the same way, this relates to what he said, what, what, what Keith dealt with and shared with us last week in these instructions about how slaves and masters are supposed to work together and live together under the Christian ethics. So in that context, let's take a look at this. Wives, in the same way, submit to your own husbands. Now I've got to tell you, just like that little girl who stood up here about eight years ago, those words often chafe the ears of the modern reader. They push, we make us want to push back because what we imagine in our mind is someone with a submission hold, their, uh, their arm around our neck and, and making us tap out, saying, I submit, I submit, you've overpowered me, I, I give in to that. We, we put negative connotations of that in our mind. We think of, of women who are, who are passively being obedient to maybe someone who doesn't have the integrity or dignity to be obedient to. So, so into that, let's make sure we understand the context of First Peter, of when he wrote this. Now, this was spoken, wives, in the same way, submit to your husband. This was spoken to Christian wives because of the magnitude of their task. Their task was huge in the first century, and let me tell you why. You see, back in Peter's day, which is first century A.D., and throughout the ancient world, and much of the world yet to follow it, the history of the world, when a man came to religion of any kind, whether it be Christian or another kind, when a man came to religion, he brought his whole family with him. That was the context. That was the culture. Everyone in their family then became a Christian. I'm a Christian, so you're all Christians. You're coming to church with me. Not so for women. When a woman came to faith, she could not say, hey, kids, we're going to church. Well, where's dad? He's reading the paper. No, that's not how it works. When a woman came to faith, that was an internal matter for her, and she had to find a way without standing up and preaching, without getting the scripture and reading to him, to bring her family to faith. In 1 Peter, we see this earlier in chapter 2 being taught to us. You see, once, says Peter, once you were not a people, but now, and I remember, Always look in the scriptures for the but nows and the but gods because it changes everything. Once you are not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received 
mercy. You see, what Peter is telling us, which is what Paul told us, which is what the Lord Jesus told us, is that the blessing of eternal life, the blessing of Christ's presence with us, is for all. And you have to hear that in that context, saying, it's for all, even women. Even women are included in the blessing of Christ. Everyone is included in the blessing. You you see, Peter, and and that's very new, Peter, in in this teaching, is sharing with us the simple fact that God in Christianity is opening a door that had been long closed to women, and that is equality in responsibility and blessing. Pastor Keith last week used this text from Galatians, and I share it with you again, where Paul writes this, who's, who's of course, Paul and Peter are, are in parallel training uh, up the Christian church and, and winning souls to Christ, following Christ's life here on earth. So it says, so in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all who were baptized into Christ have clothed themselves in Christ. See, all being circled and underlined. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Understand this. There were no women that were heirs of anything in the first century A.D. Nothing. They, They were equivalent in a master's household, even in a family, to an oxen or a lamb depending on their sturdiness and ability to bring children forth. They they were properties. And yet here comes Christ into the world saying, we're all equal. And men and women have equal share in my kingdom. They are heirs to this salvation, this blessing that I give. There is a great equalizer of humanity in Jesus Christ our Lord. Something existed after Christ walked the earth in humanity that did not exist before. The blessing and richness of promise given to all people, not just the men of the household. Now, that's the blessing. But there's a responsibility, too. And the responsibility is evangelism. If you look at 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 1, it says, Wives, in this way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that, hear carefully, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over, without words, by the behavior of their wives. You see, the life described here for the woman is a life of voluntary submission for the purpose of evangelism. And this is a huge, huge challenge for them to win someone over by their behavior, to not be able to open scriptures and prove to them, not be able to say, this is what I know, but to live the life. That's why, you know, they're, they're taught, and, and this scripture goes on in, in what Pastor Keith read a few moments ago, to talk about the adornment of the outside of their bodies. Don't, don't be a show-off. Don't, don't show how beautiful you are. Be beautiful from the inside out. That's what we always taught our little girls when they were little, not so little anymore. You might be pretty on the outside, but it's most important to be pretty from the inside out, Right? And so women of, of, of the household of God were in their own households, particularly those that, in which they were unequally yoked to living with a person that did not believe, were to live their faith in such a way that their behavior was, would, would, would want the husband, would make the husband want to know what that's all about and, and, and could be one to Christ. But we know this to be true because it still happens today. When you have one-sided respect in a relationship, that is a difficult witness. That is a difficult witness to give. And the only way, according to Peter, 
that you can give that witness if you're inspired by Christ's submission even to death, that you as a wife in the household of an unbeliever can make this witness. Peter clearly is instructing women of his age that they may have to submit to difficult circumstances for a while so that their husband can see Christ through them. Now there's clarity in these words as well. Be sure that you understand this, that Christian submission never requires us to disobey God. Never requires us to stay in an unsafe situation. Never requires us to do the things that our conscience forbids. So if you've come to the conclusion, as you've read this passage, maybe over the years, or maybe as pastor was reading it earlier this morning, that for wives to submit means that husbands make all the decisions and she stays homes and makes meals and babies, then you've skewed this teaching. Because the Christian wife works with her husband as a heroic warmer, warrior in the army of the Lord, or she valiantly lives to bring her unbelieving husband to Christ. You see, the Christian community, and in Christ's teaching, was set up. There's a hierarchy. Jesus Christ is our head. Then the apostles come, and, and there's levels of leadership, but it's all set as the army of Christ. So, so in a Christian marriage, the two, the man and women, woman, are to work together to win souls for Christ for the transformation of the world. And if you're unequally yoked, if the husband is not married, then the wife is to valiantly seek to bring her husband to Christ. Now, we could stop there because that teaches the first six verses, but we read on, so I have to say like a good infomercial, but wait, there's more. Six verses about the wife's behavior, one verse about the husband's behavior. It says in the same way, Husbands have a role. Now, Peter's not employing, implying, because he's not saying that, that women are weaker morally or intellectually, because they're not. He is making a simple point about physicality and culture. By and large, men are stronger than women. Physically and culturally, they are and were. The most likely way for a woman in the day of Jesus to be to fall into a financial peril or abuse or attack was to be left alone with no man to protect her I mean some of that's still the same t today in the North American culture you know the gateway to poverty is to be a single woman with children and that's our biggest population by far of people under the poverty level. And, and I will say, and I apologize if this has uh, uh, some sort of ramification to the next sentence I'm going to say. I, I was thrilled when we had two young women, one 17 and one 18, going to Haiti, that, that God was moving on their heart. And I was more thrilled when I found out that Bill Stevens and Kurt Liscomb were going too because I know for a fact that Bill and Kurt will never let anything bad happen to those little girls. And that is because of size and physicality. And so in that case, obviously, there is the simple fact that, that, that strength matters. Now, let's pursue where this scripture goes. The stronger, then, is to protect the weaker. 
because they're equal partners in God's good, good gift. You see, that's important because that's new as well. That's revelatory stuff. The stronger in the culture is to protect the weaker because they're equal. Now, to your ears, that doesn't make sense, but we know to our emotions and whatnot, that does. And, and that was brand new for that culture because, you see, we're getting this equality so Christians, though they're different in roles and responsibilities and abilities, are equal in their blessing and what they're supposed to do. So then Peter says in verse chapter 3, 1, 8, finally be like-minded. I love this. Peter says in chapter 3 of a five-chapter book, he's like a preacher, finally. You know when the preacher says finally, you know what it means? He's half done. <laughs> right? So Peter, halfway through the book, says finally. No, this is because it's where he's driving to. Finally, all of you be like-minded. Because this is where Peter's going. We're all one, but we're not the same. We're to have one mind in Jesus Christ, but God has built diversity among his people. If I were to bring my, my camera in here and take a picture of you, what, what we would see is to the outside eye, we look very similar. We're all, a lot of us are of the same economical, you know, socioeconomic level. You know, many of us are about the same age. We, we wouldn't see a lot of diversity here, but yet we know inside of our hearts there's complete diversity. Every single cell of your body is different. Did, did you know that? I didn't know that. I, I didn't do a good job in seventh grade biology because we drew those little charts and they all looked the same to me. But every cell in your body is different and on every cell of your body is written the same DNA code. So the cells who have a different function have the same purpose. The master architect of your body, your DNA code, is pushing it towards health and, and livelihood. So your, your DNA is the same. Your cells are different. In the same way, you know, if you watch a, a baseball team play, the shortstop and the right fielder are not the same. They have different levels. They have different roles and, and, and abilities. They do different things. The catcher and the pitcher are different. They, they have different roles. They have different abilities. Yet their purpose, winning the game, is the same. And you'd find that at Marion Methodist. If you got up early or stayed here late, you would see what Pastor Keith and I see every single week, that we have one congregation with the mission to win souls for Christ, for the transformation of the world, Boy, you guys are so distinct. They don't even all laugh at the same jokes. You don't. You, you don't hear the same music. I, I mean, if I were to say to some 11 o'clock folks, come to 745 and try it, they'd be like, why? It's at 745. And if I said to some of the 745 folks, hey, drop by the 11 o'clock service, they'd say, well, first, we don't like those songs, and secondly, no. You know? <laughs> because it's too late. That's not what they like. But we have all this diversity within the body of Christ, and yet we have one mission. Now, as we move forward here, our temptation of reading these scriptures is to read any scripture in the vacuum of our own mind and our own inclination and maybe even our own culture. Be reminded that Peter's motive in writing is to encourage Christians suffering in a non or anti-Christian world to exhibit faithfulness and bear witness. In our prayer earlier today, we talked about, um, I, th I think maybe Vicky prayed uh, about people, the, the Christians in Syria, the Christians in Africa, 
who of course are, exi- are, are, are experience a lot more persecution than we are. And yet still in our world today, we experience that here in, in ways that are maybe not so uh, harsh as they might. But we're always to exhibit faithfulness. Regardless, when you look at this, this slide, we're to always exhibit faithfulness and bear witness to Christ. So the call is to be like-minded, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So in 1 Peter 3.15, it says this, but, your hearts, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. This is where we're going with this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Christians are different in role and responsibilities and in role and abilities and equal in responsibility and blessing. Because we have the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should always be ready to give an answer. We should always be prepared when when asked about our faith to gently and responsibly share why we live the way we live, why we give what we give, what our motivation and inclination was when we got up to come to worship this morning. And because if others see your hope in Christ... We need to be prepared to tell them what Christ has done in your life. You know, there was this elevator craze, speech craze. Do you remember when everybody was supposed to do an elevator speech? You know, elevator speech, you've got to do whatever you're doing in, in 30 seconds or less. Got to be able to say it in 30 seconds. Do you remember that? Um, Pastor Melissa was big into that. We gotta be, what's our elevator speech? What's our elevator speech? I, I was asking in premarital counseling a kid, I said, why, a young man, I said, why, why do you want to get married to her? Well, she's a really good barbecuer. She's my best friend, and she's cute, and she drives well, and her parents have money. And I said, how do you boil it down? He says, because I love her, and I want to spend the rest of my life with her. That's right. Boil it down. Make it simple and clear. And we have to do that in our faithfulness, too. You know, and, and normally, you won't see one today because it's the first Sunday and we have a communion, but normally after our sermon, Pastor Keith and I say, take a look at this, and you see a witness on the board of someone sharing simply and clearly what they believe in and why they give to the church. To me, those are powerfully inspiring. And I know for a fact that there's many of you yet that, that, that haven't shared that, and we hope that you would. And, and you can volunteer for that. I don't know if you knew that, but this is a simple, shameless plug that if you'd like to volunteer to give one of those... Um, just sign on the yellow sheet and throw it in there. Say, I'd love to give an offering testimony. And young Simon Campbell will get in touch with you and, and, and show you how it's filmed. Because it's hard to take what you live and believe and push it into, because tw- the limits on those are 28 to 45 seconds. Hard to do, isn't it, Jim? 28 to 45 seconds. But we have to be able to do that with our faith. So, so, so let's, let me drive this home. So let's look at this real quickly. How can we be ready to give an answer to our faith. Oftentimes we say, speak to your faith, speak to your faith, speak to your faith. Well, how? Now, let me give it to you in four pieces. One, make yourself available to God. Simple. Make yourself available to God. Some of us lived through a generation where there was a song by Harry Chapin, The Cats in the Cradle. You know that song? It's a song about a guy that has a child 
And he's so darn busy when the kid's growing up that he can't ever spend time. But he keeps saying to his son, hey, we'll get together, son. We'll get together. We'll spend some time there. The child raises to adulthood and then the tables turns and the child himself doesn't have any time for his father. And I would make the case that many people live their faith that way. Someday I'm going to have faith in God. Someday I'm going to get serious about my faith. Someday I'm going to be able to express what I believe in God and make it clear and simple. And I tell you this, you've got to make yourself available to God. And I would encourage all of you, to, to take the time to go through the toil and the spiritual and mental exercise of thinking out your faith. Because if you take time to, 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 to maybe even write out or type out what you believe, it'll become a first-hand experience, a first-hand discovery that you can share. Because, you know, I've heard so many people, you know, someone say, well, what's the reason for for your living and why are you such a Christian like this and they say something like this well my testimony is I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ is only son. that's great but that's not a first hand discovery for you I love hearing the stories of people's faith they're told like something that they've come upon like a jewel that's transformed their whole lives because I know for you it's that way so take the time to, to make yourself available to God and lean into that so you can uh, share that with others. And the second thing, uh, as you prepare to give an answer, just lean into God. Lean into God. Mother Teresa was being interviewed by the old newscaster Mike Wallace once, and he said, explain your relationship with God. And he, she simply said, I wake up in the morning, and I just lean into him. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand anything. As we make ourselves available to God, we just lean into God. We let God's Holy Spirit form our attitudes. When, when, when we share our faith, we, we don't try to be arrogant. We don't try to take over the conversation. We don't try to bludgeon each other into our beliefs. I've known this for a long time, and you've seen it too. The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit transforms a person, and I've seen many people come from non-Christian to Christian, from anti-Christian to Christian, Holy Spirit never knocks them over. It's a case of the person opening their doors of their heart and their lives to God, and the Holy Spirit, like a gentleman, comes in. You know, so we, as, as those that are leaning into God, need to seek to woo people into faith. I was reminded of, a few weeks ago, one of our friends, one of our members here, Glenn Martins, had his 50th birthday party. Well, before his party, several weeks, he had the opportunity to go deep-sea fishing and caught himself a shark. Pretty cool, huh? And I guess wherever you cut it, you get to keep it. So he cut it all up into these little things called shark bites. They're about, you know, two inches square. And at his 50th birthday party, they were, they were putting all these out. And I'd heard that they were coming. I was so excited. I got to eat some shark bites. I, you know, I'm a fish guy. My wife, I don't understand her. She doesn't eat fish. She doesn't like the idea of fish. She doesn't let me cook fish in my house. She goes to Red Lobster and has a steak. I'm not kidding you. And so she'd heard all this talk about the shark bite. She says, I'm not having a shark bite. But when we got there, there, there was one of her friends that had, kind of, had just taken him off the, the griddle. And he kind of turned to her and says, these look delicious, don't they, Teresa? And they did. And he says, if you want one, I'd love you to take one. And then he put them kind of where all the food was being served. And then a couple ladies came up and just kindly, you know, in, in friendship ways, well, have you tried the shark bites? And Teresa's like, well, I don't really like fish. I don't really eat fish. He's kind of pushing back. She says, I, 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 might, I might try it. And then, 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 then her friend Cindy, who comes to our 11 o'clock service, said, well, Teresa, they don't taste that fishy. Just give it a try. 
And Teresa, the first time in 29 years of marriage, ate fish. <laughs> and at the end of which she said, I might do that again. You see, she was wooed into that. She was encouraged. She was invited. She wasn't bludgeoned into it by everyone saying, try the fish, try the fish. Glenn caught this. Try the fish, try the fish. You got to try the fish. It was gentle and sweet. And people were just leaning into her that way. When we are seeking to lean into God, we're wooing people. We're inviting them into Christ. Third, you just have to live the life. You have to live the life. The Christian life is the best argument for Christianity. That's why Paul or Peter says, in the same way, wives be submissive to your husbands, so if they don't know the word, they might know it through this. Live the Christian life. I, one of the great saints of the church wrote this years ago. A saint is someone whose life makes it easier to believe in God. Isn't that cool? Of anything you're going to write down today, write that down. A saint is someone whose life makes it easier to believe in God in God. And I tell you as your pastor, if that's the case, then seek sainthood every single moment of your days. And then of course, if you have to give answer to your faith, say the words. Just say the words. The most important thing that you know, if you've been listening to anything here, over the hundred and some years this place has been a congregation, 174 years this has been a congregation, The most important thing that you should know is that you are a Christian and you are equal. You have equal responsibility and blessing. And when a person is asking you, they're asking you. They're not asking Keith. They're not asking Vicki. They're not asking me. But you're a person with equal blessing and responsibility and they're asking you. So say what you believe. I guarantee you, friends, it will sound imperfect to you coming out of your mouth. When you say your faith, it's going to sound just like you. So to you, you're going to think, that's not good enough. That's not perfect enough. But here's what God will do from the moment it leaves your tongue to when it arrives at the other ears and penetrates the heart. He's going to transform it into the beauty of your witness and make the words right to the persons that's hearing them. So don't worry about how polished and perfect you are. Just say the words, and God will perfect it if that's that person's day on the way to the here. So let us be faithful. We are needing to be faithful in claiming our roles and abilities, our equal responsibility and blessing, using them all for that great day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess on heaven and on earth that Jesus Christ is Lord.